Hello. Hello. Let's see. All right. I, I don't want to poll people on like the favorite changes that have been made in the last month because there's been so many, but um, that's, that's a cliche. I, think, I don't want to poll you because I think out of all the hard work we've done and the prayers and the faithfulness of the staff and the people in this room and uh, Ms. Espinoza, I think it would really come down, if it, was a, if it was a secret ballot, it'd be like, we're glad you got a microphone that you figured out how to work. <laughs> I, I, um, and here's the thing. Here's the worst part. This was like $23. <laughs> we spend more on ice than we do on what is really making this a functional learning experience. And, uh, man, we've had that, that mic thing. I remember wrestling with that the first time I spoke in James in the Kessler. So I don't know if that, I don't know if we were just trying to, like, cowboy up or it was pure laziness or what it was. But, man, it feels good not to yell at you. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. I'm really excited for the opportunity we have to come together today. I pray that everyone's week found them well. Um, uh, man, uh, it's always good to be in front of people that I love. Uh, this week was a special week for me. I know, uh, same for you, this, is, this week was 9-11. So this week for, I think, every age to person in this room was really like your, your, your geographical location moment. Like everyone knows where they were. Everyone knows what they were doing. Um, and uh, it really just changed the, the face of the Western world. Like it was all of a sudden we realized maybe we're not as safe as we thought or maybe um, the world's a little flatter than we thought. I know for me personally, it was, uh, it was I would define it as like a catastrophic life change. So um, I wanted to be a lawyer from the day I could remember being one to be something. And I, I blame most of that on TV because I don't, I can't read very well. There's no way I would have got through law school um, at all. Like, not even close. I can't read well. I don't retain very much of what I read. It was in no way going to be something that, uh, but I grew up on Matlock and I grew up on the practice. And uh, this has nothing to do with Colossians. It's not even on my notes. Man, sorry, kids. Um, but, uh, and I remember all that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to wear a suit. I wanted to be classy. I wanted to talk to people and make money off doing that. And I wanted to be a baller. And then 9 11 happened. And I remember from that day, from that day, I remember sitting in, it's going to date me, sitting in my freshman of high school call, uh, classroom. Uh, I remember from that day on, I was like, all I want to do is serve. I know that people are like, yeah, we let a 30 year old be our lead pastor. <laughs> yeah, we did. So own it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, like I'm happy you're just like, do you mean college? He means college, right? No, I was in high school. But I remember from that day on, um, it was all about service. It was all like, I just want to serve my country. I want to serve my state. I want to serve my community. Like, I, I, nothing wrong with any of the professions I've already named. But I want, to, uh, I want to be the guy on the line. I want to go across. I want to do that. Um, and in some way, God, God had uh, did shut some of those doors, but it opened them up. And I've, I've been... It's been an honor to serve this country as long as I've been able to serve it. I pray that I'm continue, I have the ability to continue to serve it. 
But um, for, the, for the life of the believer, any, any day like 9-11 or any uh, recurring day, so like 9-11-2001 or 9-11-2012 or Benghazi, everything like that, I don't want us to ever take for granted the freedoms we have, the sovereignty we have. And, and yes, a lot of that is like, yeah, America, that's great. But um, for us, the life of the believer, the, 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 the builders of, of God's New Testament church, it means that we can sit here today and not worry um, about uh, a state-run institution coming through that door or someone coming in and, and persecuting us or prosecuting us, that we have the ability to, um, in one voice, in one accord, as God's hands and feet, the sons and daughters of, of God, to say, because of uh, the time we were born and the country we were born to, we get to freely read our Bible together. We get to freely sing as loud as we allow ourselves to sing um, and sing praises to his name. And I pray um, that we never take that for granted. I pray that we continue um, that life of gratitude as we just study God's Word. So today we're going to continue in the book of Colossians. Last week was really an overview of Colossians, and then we went into the first two verses. And, and this week we're going, to, we're going to dive into a pretty meaty passage. Um, a little recap of last week, we talked about who was Paul. So Paul um, is the apostle. Paul is one of the uh, major writers of the New Testament. Paul is an apostle, um, and Paul was a church planner. Paul went around um, Asia Minor and, and the areas like that and started planting Churches, And uh, one of the beautiful things about Paul is it's, it's a story of redemption. It's a story of how God can use anything and anyone at any time. So Paul, um, pre-conversion over to Christianity, was probably the single greatest opposition force to the growth, growth, growth of the New Testament. And God was able to seize Paul, convert Paul, change Paul through his ways, through his glory, through his hope. Um, and, and because of that, Paul became the single catalyst, the, 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 the writer of theology, the, uh, the planter of churches. Um, Paul was the preacher of preachers because of his belief, because of his faith, but really because he was open to be an instrument of God. He was, he was a faithful follower of God. Paul had no superhuman powers that weren't given to him by the Spirit, so everything that Paul did that was great was God-ordained and through God. But in him himself, he was just a broken sinner that God was able able to use because of his faithfulness and because of his willingness to step up. We also talked about Rome and how Rome was really cutting edge in the way that it ran its government, cutting edge in the way that it ran its infrastructure and its city cities. And as much as Rome really just did that to glorify Rome, Rome did, did not do that thinking, man, it's going to make it really easy for uh, churches to spread up. It's going to make it really easy for church planners to travel and move around and communicate. That was in no way Rome's intention, but it was absolutely the byproduct of Rome. God used Rome, a pagan nation, to help plant his church, to help move his letters around, help to move his, his, his words and his, and his uh, missionaries around. So again, you see a sovereign God using broken, broken people to prosper his gospel. Rome ruled by the cross. Christ took that cross and ruled in a completely different way, but ruled by the Roman cross. And lastly, we talk about the church of Colossae, church um, that Paul actually never went to, but it was a church that was planted by Ephorus, a person who was almost like a, a, a mentee of Paul. He had heard Paul talk, teach. He had uh, heard Paul speak about the gospel of Christ, knew that that was a beautiful thing that he had to bring home. He did, and he planted the church. But then we saw Ephorus come back to Paul while he's in a Roman prison, and he tells Paul, hey, my church is in trouble. 
We're fighting some contrary doctrine. We're fighting some, um, some spiritual warfare where people are trying to add things or subtract things from the one true gospel. They're trying to um, add things to our faith, to our religion. Uh, there is some question if Christ is supreme, if, if the preeminence of Christ is actually the way to go, and we need some help. And that's really where we find ourselves. As Paul pins this letter, he is going to try to correct some of those, uh, those wrong thinking. He's going to try to correct some of those heresies. But uh, in true Paul fashion, he doesn't just start the letter off with, hey, listen up. Paul was the consummate encourager. Paul uh, was the great encourager because usually he encouraged you from a place of suffering. There is no more humbling encouragement than, than someone who is encouraging you when the reality you should be encouraging them. So the church of Colossae is free and living their life. Paul is in prison and he will later lose his life in prison, not this specific stay in prison, but he'll be imprisoned a lot. He will suffer a lot for the cause of Christ. But yet he is encouraging these people. Paul was uh, understood that appreciation, encouragement was medicine for the soul. Planting a church is hard. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. All right. So most of you have been with us for the duration of at least my pastoral ship. And planning a church is beautiful. Planning a church is God ordained. Planning a church is trench warfare. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that, hey, I want to love you, I want to encourage you, and I want to teach you. But all that has to come from a place of love. All that has to come from a place of appreciation. And Paul gives thanks uh, for what Christ had done in the lives of the Colossians. And he's, he's encouraging them while sitting in a Roman prison. And that's a, that's a beautiful truth because it's, it, it speaks to the truthfulness of Paul's faith. And it speaks to the truthfulness of just how Paul writes. You see in 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 16 where Paul writes, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. That sounds beautiful. It sounds amazing. But it's biblical truth when Paul can say that from the prison. It's beautiful truth when Paul can say that and say, hey, be rejoice always, even if you're a Roman prison facing your death. You see, uh, in Philippians, when Paul writes, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone because the Lord is is at hand. That, that sounds awesome. That sounds like something we should put on a shirt. Um, but it's just words if there's no truth behind it. But the, the fact that we have Paul the Apostle writing it, and we know that when he says it, he means it because he lives it. It rings even more. It encourages us. It's, it's second-tier reader. So the first-tier reader of Colossians uh, was the Church of Colossae. But he wrote that, uh, uh, trying to encourage them. But the Spirit pinned that, knowing that, knowing that in 2018, Trinity Church would need those words. We would need the encouragement. We would need the wisdom. We would need the love and the steadfast truthfulness of Paul every day in our life. And I'm, I'm, I'm one, I'm grateful that, that Paul um, is really just completely open to the growth of the, the gospel no matter where it may find itself. Because modern day pastors have, have lost some of that, uh, 
uh, zeal for the glory of God solely, right? So solely the gloria sounds beautiful. It is true, but it's hard to live. And we see Paul live that out. Um, but a modern day uh, uh, pastor, it would be easy for him to be like, man, I really want good things for Colossians, but I spent three years in Ephesus. And are you going to take Ephesus members? Are you going to cannibalize? Like, there's only so much of the pie. And I really, I spent a lot of my time in, in the church of Ephesus, or I really have a special place in my heart for the Philippians. But the reality is Paul wants the gospel to grow everywhere and in every way. And he, he, he lives that out with his encouragement and how he wants only good things for the lives of the believer. So, man, did I spend a lot of time on the intro. If you would, stand with me. We're going to read um, Colossians 1, 3 through 14. We have to listen fast. So, uh, I don't do a lot of exegesis. I don't generally translate Greek uh, uh, word for word because that's not my specialty. But it's important to know as I read this and and attempt to do it justice that in Greek, this is only two sentences. So the English is not, there's going to be a lot of commas. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word and the truth of the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Verse 7, just as you learned from Ephorus, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Verse 9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. You may be seated. That took a lot of me reading the Bible in the mirror. There are some beautiful, beautiful texts. Let me pray over us, and then we're just going to dive into it. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to read your inherent word. God, I pray that the Spirit comes and that the Spirit moves. I pray that whatever is on our hearts and our minds, that you may cast it aside for the next five to ten minutes, that we may just focus solely on your word, your will, and more importantly, your hope for us. All right, so let's break it down. There's some beautiful writing. That was that was uh, uh, Pauline theology at its best, uh, where you just see him encapsulate everything we believe, everything we love, everything we cherish and hold dear to us, he puts in one passage. So it's beautiful to read. It is the source of anxiety for all pastors who try to teach Paul. Now, we're just trying to unpack this, but there, there's some stuff that we're going to pull out that we desperately need. So let's just start in verse 3, where he says, we always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith, love, 
and hope. So he continues uh, throughout this letter and all of his letters, he's going to put uh, the preeminence on Christ. He's going to always push Christ to the front. He's always going to say, Christ is the truth. Christ is the way. Christ is the answer. Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Messiah. Christ, Christ, Christ. You're going to hear Paul throughout all of his letters, and especially Colossians, where he's trying to fight any kind of religion or dogma or heresy, pull at the core of the gospel. His answer for all of that is always going to be Christ. He's going to say, there's a faith, and there's a love, and there's a hope, and all of that is rooted in Christ. You need all of that. He calls that in verses 4 and 5, the word of the truth, the gospel. You see this a lot in Colossians, and really you see this in modern day America where we say, hey, we believe in Jesus, but we also believe in this, this, and this. And Paul is always going to combat that with, no, you believe in Christ. There is no moderation. There is no half measures. There is no lukewarmness. It is all about Christ Jesus, our Savior. Anything else, white noise. And he's going to hit that up and hit that up and continue to talk about that. Verse 6, he talks about the whole world is starting to bear fruit because the Bible says where the gospel is preached, people will come to know Jesus Christ. And that is the truth. If you continue to be faithful and, and to the teaching of God, people will come to know their Savior. And you're starting to see that in the New Testament. These uh, group of disciples and, and apostles that plant this New Testament church um, turned the world upside down. Um, they spread the gospel to the far reachings of the world. Even us today in America owe our faith, our believing, our, our opportunity to worship the one true God to these men and women who said yes to the call, I'm going to be faithful to the teaching of the one true gospel, and I'm going to watch the seed of the gospel spread because I'm going to continue to water. I'm going to continue to water. He talks about how he learned about this church because remember, Paul never goes to the church of Colossae. He's, he's, he's just trying to help them out. He's trying to write a letter of wisdom for his dear friend Ephesus. He talks about, I've heard about what happened. I've heard about what you are, your faithfulness, and what is happening to you as a church through my beloved Ephesus. Ephesus is coming back and saying, hey, Man, I love Ephesus too. If we take a 30-second Ephesus moment where you have a guy who understands and buys into the gospel. And the way we know he understands and bought into the gospel is because he couldn't fathom a world where the gospel wasn't in Colossians. And it's the same as us today. If I absolutely believe in Jesus Christ, I mean, it's in my bones. If it's in my DNA, there is no version of my life that doesn't bring that gospel to Oak Cliff. There's no way I can live my life and say, hey, I have to bring it to my work. I have to bring it to my friends. I have to bring it to everyone I can get my arms on. Because if I believe the truth of the gospel and I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, how can I want anything different for anyone else? And Everest shows that through his life. He shows that through his planting of the church of Colossae. And, and more importantly, he goes back to Rome. He goes back to the prison to say, hey, I love, I love you. I love the gospel truth that you preach. I love the fact that I was able to bring it back to Colossae, but we're in trouble and we need help. I, I want the gospel to flourish, but we are doing things. We are being taught things. We are believing in things that didn't come from Paul's gospel. And Paul taught the true gospel. So Ephesus cared enough not only to plant this church, but to make sure this church was healthy. Man, I'm having some trouble. Make sure this church is healthy. So he comes to Paul and says, hey, this is what's going on, but we need help. We need encouragement. So Paul uh, starts off this passage with just saying, hey, thank you. And then he ends this passage, 9 through 14, with just a prayer. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a messianic prayer. He's talking about, hey, this is what is beholden to you. This is what you have the option to be a part of. This is what I want for you 
with the one true gospel. So then Paul, in verse 9, he talks about, we are not going to cease to pray for you. And Paul meant it. Paul was a prayer warrior. Paul understood that the, the, the power that we have, the power that we've been emboldened uh, with, is really not anything about human power. There's no power that we possess apart from the Spirit, but the Spirit goes to God on our behalf through prayer. And Paul understood that. Paul lived that out. Paul lived a life of prayer. It wasn't a, a specific quiet time. It wasn't a journaling moment at a coffee shop. It was a lifestyle of prayer. There's nothing wrong with those things. I do those things I just named. I'm not trying to hit you up where you live. I'm saying Paul lived an entire lifestyle sold out to the idea of prayer. And he refuses to cease praying for the believers of Jesus Christ, the sons and the daughters. And then he prays that you may be filled. In verse 9, we're still in 9, he goes, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will. Filled is um, really uh, directly translated to controlled by or completed by. And how that plays out is not too uh, uh, unsimilar or dissimilar to American, how we use filled. If I'm filled with anger, I'm controlled by that anger. But if I'm filled by the glory of God, I'm controlled by the glory of God. So he doesn't want them to know something about Scripture. He doesn't want them to know something about the church. He wants them to be complete. He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God. Because in the writings of Paul, there is no separation between knowledge and obedience. We've had this weird thing where we've been um, flooded with knowledge, right? So back in the day, if you wanted to be a theologian, you went to seminary. Or if you wanted to learn something, you bought a book and you studied it. And maybe you went to your pastor or professor and and, and they poured over you. And you had to go uh, through numerous steps to really better yourself in in academic spiritual formation. But in today's, I can Google something and I I can, there's so much knowledge at the tip of our fingers. And really that just goes for everything, not just. Uh, uh, our, our theology or doctrines, but there's so much knowledge that we have put a, a chasm between knowledge and obedience. But when Paul says, I want you to be filled with knowledge, he is not hoping that you go and become and write a new book that no one actually needs to read. It's just your airing of knowledge. He's saying the knowledge leads to obedience. The knowledge leads to a life changed. The knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, that knowledge that he imparted into Ephesus, he knew if I can impart this knowledge to Ephesus, if I can get Ephesus bought into the one true gospel, that will translate into obedience, that will translate into the planting of the church. He always correlates knowledge, obedience. And then he calls us to walk, to, to live a specific way. He says, as to, sorry, as so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. He's calling us to live a specific way. He's calling us to live a life that is worthy of our Lord. He's hoping that knowledge, that knowledge about the gospel, that knowledge about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the the messianic King who has come to save us, that we may be redeemed, that He may forgive us of our sins. He's praying that knowledge will spur us on to live a different way because it can never be reversed. You can look through the Old Testament all you want, but every time there was a list or a category of things you needed to do to to make yourself holy, innovate yourself, there was catastrophic failure across the board. You will never be able to live a certain way, thus understand the hope and glory of God. You will have to 
and believe and have faith in the glory of God, and that will change how you live. Live, man, sorry. And I need to slow down. I'm getting really passionate, and we haven't even got to the part where I'm getting really passionate about. That's this page. So what Paul is writing about, Paul is saying, hey, I want you to be filled with hope. I want you to be filled with knowledge and love and faith and grace. But all of that comes from you understanding that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If we ever get it out of order, it is all lost. It is all just dogma and worthless religion. The fact that Paul understands there is an order to things. There is a, there is a way for practical obedience. And I think that's one of the things that hits me the most. Is I, I, I understand the beauty of Pauline theology. I understand the beauty of the New Testament writings. But a lot of that, I just want to know how I'm supposed to be on a Tuesday morning. Like, how, how do I translate some of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, which is verses 3 through 14, this prayer of prayer that Paul lays out, or this genuine thankfulness that Paul starts his letters with? That, that's, that's awesome. I, I want to be able to emulate that. I want to be able to live my life that way. But there's this how. There's this, am I actually living it out? Because Paul just prays that the church of Colossae would know God's will, and that through knowing God's will and prayer, they would have the power to live it. So it's a pretty simple prayer. He's saying, I want you to know what you're supposed to be doing because of the faith you have in Christ. And that faith and that knowledge will thus turn into power. And that power will give you the power to live out your faith every day. That's not an unusual prayer. I pray that every day for my life. I pray that for my family. I pray that for you. I pray that the knowledge of Christ Jesus, the hope of Christ Jesus would be imparted to you, and through that hope, you would live a different way. Not because you want to make a list of good things to do, not because you want to um, earn or, or to, to look uh, the appropriate way or to be deemed the, 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 the workplace Christian, but I want you to live out your faith. All biblical truths are practical, not theoretical. So... To really ingrain this and to take really what I think the Spirit has pulled out of this passage for me um, is, is really verse 5. If you look at this verse and you see in verse 5, it says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That's why. Hey, how can I endure the hard days? How can I plant God's church? How can I grow God's church? How can I build up my brothers and sisters? How can I, how can I pray? How can I do this? How can I do that? Where does the power, the endurance, the faith, the love, where does all of that come from that Paul's talking about? It, it comes from the hope that's been laid up for us in heaven. We've, I don't know, everyone probably says they live in a generation that needs hope the most. So I don't want to be uh, stereotypical or cliche, but you don't have to look around much to understand that we are in desperate need for true hope. False hope is a killer. False hope is worse than no hope. But we are in need of godly hope. Here's how I know. I wasn't even going to cover hope this Sunday. Right? Like, I don't know how I missed verse 5, but I'm doing my whole sermon planning. I'm doing, uh, I have a whole process. I'm pretty OCD. I'm pretty methodical. So every day has a different version of what I need to be doing. And God willing, and my work schedule allowing every, every week. So like on Monday, I dive into just the passage. Tuesday, I break that passage down. And then so on and so forth. And I had done all of that until uh, last night, or Friday night. 
and it didn't cover verse 5. Verse 5 is important, and we believe that all Scripture is breathed by God. I'm not saying it's not, but I have about 17 to 22 minutes, and sometimes we have to just hit the highlights. And for me, for some reason, verse 5, the, the crux of what this passage is to me now, which just wasn't going to make it. It was going to go to the cutting floor. But I'll be honest with you, because I love you, and I think you know me that the only thing I bring to this table is I'm going uh, to speak behind this pulpit and out of this Bible complete truth. Is that this week was hard. This week came closer to breaking me at work than I've ever come close in my life. I've never come closer than I did this weekend to say, you know what, I'm hanging it up. And do you know why I'm still here and I'm still preaching and I didn't? Come on. Hope, thank you. The hope. So God was able to say, hey, it's okay to have really bad days. It's okay to have really, really nasty days that make you question everything and everyone. Because what's actually going to sustain you is hope. Injustice is not going to sustain you. You trying to be a vigilante is not going to sustain you. You trying to work your cases as hard as you can and one day maybe child abuse will stop, that's not going to sustain you. That's not even realistic. But the hope of Christ is real. The hope of Christ can lead to knowledge. The hope of Christ can lead to love and joy and passion. All of that can come from one true hope, which is God. And you don't have to look around. You can turn the TV on. So us as, as, as Dallas residents, everyone in here lives either in the city of Dallas or the county of Dallas. It doesn't take much to turn on the TV, and we are walking through a tragic situation where a young, uh, beautiful man lost his life in his own apartment. And it's, it's, it's hellacious. It's, it's heartbreaking. It's a tragedy beyond tragedies. And we're going to try to do a lot of things to right that wrong. And we're going to try to find hope in a lot of wrong places. And it's not going to cut it. You're going to try to make laws. You're going to try to do this. You're going to try to do that. And I'm telling you, I've been on both sides of that situation. And I'm telling you, if you look to anywhere except for the hope of God, you will be let down and you will fail. Amen. Fast forward to Thursday. A guy that is known in the profession to be a titan of titans at Fort Worth loses his life in the line of duty, tragically and in the most violent way. And here's how you know hope is lost in our city and that we have to be the agent of hope for our city is somehow these completely unrelated news story and tragedies are now at battle with each other. Because if one side can say, well, the other side deserves to die a little more, or if this other side says, hey, I, that's sad, but how much more sad is this? We're, we're looking for hope. We are devastated. We are a city that needs a compass. And that compass is going to point you to the hope of Christ or your compass is broke. I promise you right now. So I made the mistake in a complete tragic moment of, uh, man, I'm not sure how what I want to do for a living. Um, I'm being really honest. I'm getting a lot of weird eyes. We're going to cut some of this for the podcast because we don't want to creep anyone out. Our pastor cries a lot. Come listen to the podcast. Um, I start getting on news and reading news. And, ah, oh my gosh. You, you, there's no more proof of the desperation of man or the, uh, the, the, uh, the sanctity of sin throughout all of our life than reading bloggers or comments on news stories. Oh my gosh, don't go down this rabbit hole. I did, and I was just like, I'm done. I turned my phone off. First of all, if you are commenting on any story that revolves around someone losing their life in a negative manner, you are what we call a troll, and you need to check yourself. 
But it just broke my heart because you see so many people enraged. And some of it was righteous anger. Some of it was righteous rage. But you think, these people are hoping that this police department gives them hope and justice. Or these people are hoping that this, this civil rights movement will give them hope and justice. And all of those systems will fail them. The only thing that can give them hope and justice is God's local church because he's going to point them to Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And that is it. Everything aside from that is garbage. And you're talking to a guy who's part of the garbage. And it breaks my heart because you want to say, hey, when Romans says rejoice with those who rejoice but mourn with those who mourn, it means it. It's not just something you say because it's politically accurate. It's because it's the biblical truth. The fact that a man lost his life no matter what he was doing, whether it be doing uh, something you judge as wrong, right, or just living in your own apartment, it should break your heart. You should mourn with those who mourn. You should mourn with his family. It doesn't matter what's going on culturally. It doesn't matter what's going on politically. You mourn with that man because there was a loss of life that did not need to happen. But the second you try to find justice through a broken system, you are a fool. Justice comes from God. Justice comes from Jesus Christ. The second a, an officer loses his life in the line of duty and you think it was a little justified because an officer over here made a mistake, come talk to me. I, want, I don't want to get mad at you. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm sure he's not going to reply to you on Twitter because just FYI, if you are people that do that, no one's ever changed their mind because of a witty comment on Twitter. They just think you're a troll. But the truth is, you don't need more knowledge, you don't need more laws, you don't need more justice, you need God. You need the hope that Paul is talking about, the hope that is laid up in heaven. He wants you to be filled with that hope because that hope will change your life, that hope will change this church. And guess what? This church is in Dallas. This church will change Dallas. And I will go arms locked on any march you want if we're going to march about justice that comes from the Bible. But until we get our minds right, until we get our hearts right about what real hope is, we are wasting our time. None of this will have to do with Colossians. I'm kind of just going free willing it right now. And this may either get us a room packed to next Sunday or a lot of emails and a desert. I don't know which way this is really going to fall. And sorry for that. Um, but the truth is, it was, hope started this off. Hope started it off. Hope will sustain us. Hope will point us to Christ. Everything is made possible by hope. I pray that I haven't, like, in, in, uh, in some way uh, outrageously offended anyone in this room. If I have, come see me, and I'll do everything I can to make it right. I pray that I've, I've pointed you to truth. I pray that I pointed you um, to genuine teaching, and, I, and I, I, I'm not always going to be a perfect pastor. I have failed this room more times than we can count, um, and uh, I, have, I have not been the pastor I need to be in so many ways, but I promise you this, if God puts it on my heart, it's coming out of my mouth, mm -hmm. right, wrong, or indifferent. I love you. Thank you for letting me teach you. Let me pray before our kids take over. <laughs> God, thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you have given us um, that resounds in your hope. God, I pray that um, through this day, we are the, the marching orders of that hope. God, I pray that the change that this city needs, that this country needs, that this world change needs, actually starts with its intended agent of change, which is the church. 
every position held by man will fail someone. We are imperfect men policing imperfect people. God, I pray that the brokenness of this world may be, may he be healed by Christ's love. I pray this in all things, your name. Amen.